0: Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from Mark nine, and we read from verse forty-two to verse fifty. The heading of that scripture says, "Temptations to sin." Let's read. And it's from the ES. Um, let me check. ESV. <laughs> Let's read. Whoever whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in your lives and be at peace with one another. Amen.
1: Glad you came to church this morning. Yay. So we read that text, I'm not sure about how you feel about it, but we're back in the book of Mark, and I find myself naturally going, Ryan, what are we thinking? Just jumping straight back into that. It's like, yay, we're one Bosh, and we're back together, and how about we talk about chopping off our arms and gouging out our eyes and not going to hell, right? Great, you can be forgiven for thinking that it's craziness, but, but truly... I believe that God has brought us here today for purpose and that God is going to continue to lead us as his people through his word. And I want to again just declare it that this is where our confidence lies, church. This is where our confidence lies in God's word, in his teaching to us, and his understanding of how life should truly work. And so today as we jump into this, I have titled this message True Life, true life. And I'm excited to jump into it. And I'm trusting that God will continue to allow His Word and the life and the teachings of Christ to shape our lives and our community. So maybe you want to just open your hearts freshly. You read a, a word like that in our day and age, and what naturally happens? The walls go up, right? I believe God is wanting to bring some of those walls down, and he would want to speak to us and lead us and guide us today. So let's pray together, and we're going to get stuck in. Father, thank you that your word is truth and that you are life, Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and you are with us, and you want to speak to us, and you want to lead us, and you want to welcome us again today into true and full life we pray God that we would heed your words that we would recognize that you love us most that you know us best and that ultimately it's your desire to see us walk in your ways and experience the fullness of life that you gave your very life for so lead us on today we pray come Holy Spirit convict us of sin where you need to convict us of sin lead us on in your plan in your purpose amen Amen. Now today we are just looking at those verses, verse 42 through 50. And for those of you who haven't been with us, we actually spent more than 20 weeks covering the first eight chapters of Mark last year. We're in and out of uh, the book of Mark through this year. We're closing the gap now between the end of chapter nine and chapter 13, and we've already through Easter and Holy Week we covered chapter 14 through 16. So that's the journey we're on, and we're allowing God god 's Word to lead us and shape us, and what we have to realize is about verse forty two through fifty that we 're looking at today is that actually we 're picking up mid conversation with Jesus. Jesus has taken his disciples they 've been traveling around because they 're a little bit scared of some of the authorities and the high priests etc and he 's taken his disciples and they 're on the road and they come to this house in Capernaum and he has a 20 verse little supercharge to his closest followers, and he speaks to them. So we've got to realize from verse 30 through 50 is is one charge from Jesus. And because he really loves them, because he really wants to make sure that the penny is dropping, it's like Jesus hits another four-by-four gear, right? And he's speaking to and he's charging of his disciples. I'm not sure if this has ever happened to you, but when you're speaking to someone, and uh, you kind of think that you're listening and you're having a good conversation and they just interrupt and you go, no, stop. You're not hearing me. Have you ever had that? That's never happened in my marriage. Never happened in any of my teaming, right? But maybe it's happened in your life. This is that kind of moment for Jesus. He goes, stop, disciples. You are not hearing me. You're not hearing me, and you can imagine them kind of sitting up straight, and you can imagine them kind of going, okay, wait, 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 let's, let's try and get this. As Jesus brings it on a bit stronger to get through to them, and he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am getting hectic here with you guys because you are fundamentally missing the point of what I am. Am here for. I'm not just here to make your lives better. I'm not just here to see you living your hashtag best life now. No, I am here establishing my kingdom. And you need to decide are you wanting to get in on that action? Because guess what? It doesn't look anything like what you guys think it looks like. See, what's been happening is the disciples have been quarreling around who's going to be the greatest. And just the verses before this, and then they're quarreling about, hey, this other guy, he was casting out demons in your name. He's not even one of us. He's not even one of your disciples. Who, what gives him the rights? And Jesus goes, come on, guys, you're not hearing me. And he wants to shake them a little bit. And he goes, you guys are still jostling for position. You think this is about your kingdom coming? You think this is about your show? No, it's got nothing to do with that. I am building my kingdom. You need to decide where you stand. We're going to look at three big points that Jesus makes today. The first one is this. The first thing that Jesus hits head on to help them get the point is sin is serious. Sin is serious. Listen to this verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown in the sea. Like I said, Jesus is hitting them hard here. And he's using powerful, scary imagery, right? For most of the people in that day and age, the sea was the treacherous, life-swallowing place and he's saying a millstone a heavy millstone that would have been a very vivid picture for the for them and in fact they actually would have been kind of alive to this reality because just recently uh, something like this had happened to one of the leaders of an insurrection this guy named um, Judas the Galilean he was a zealot leader who led an insurrection and they actually did this to him and some of his followers so that the disciples would have been alive to this imagery like that is what it looks like to go fully off course. That's the consequence of sin in your life. And, and straight away, they would have been sitting upright and they would have said, Okay, sin is serious. Jesus, we, we're hearing you here. Maybe when we talk about sin, it's good for us to try and define it. And this definition is not all encompassing, but it's been helpful to me in its simplicity where it says, Sin is anything that hurts me or hurts others or hurts God. Sin is anything that hurts me or others or God. And when I say hurts, I'm using God's definitions of what hurts looks like to ourselves and to others and even to to God. Obviously, we need to recognize that sin is serious in our lives and Jesus is speaking and he's saying, hey, Don't be about your business. Don't be trying to get ahead. Don't be trying to promote yourself. And if you, in doing those things, cause others to stumble and others to fall short and others to be hurt and sin, woe to you is what Jesus is saying. They've been jostling for all this position. And he's saying, hey, in those attempts to get ahead, make sure you don't cause others to stumble I'm not sure about your life, but it's true of my life that it's actually most often in the place of pressure that sin becomes more attractive to me. In the place of pressure, sin becomes more attractive. When I'm falling behind, it's then that a shortcut almost feels more appropriate, right? When I don't feel up for the hard work, then compromise seems somehow more appealing to me when I don't want to wait for God's provision, I'm under pressure, I don't want to wait for God's provision, then I'm inclined to step out of his will and into my own plans. And if I find myself kind of in a corner, it's not my Cinderella self that comes out, right? It's my sinful, compromised self that just wants to kind of take control and lash out and respond. When I'm under pressure, I find myself inclined to want to fall short, to want to sin, to want to take the shortcut on matters. And all too often, I think this can have an effect on other people around me. Maybe it can cause them pain. Maybe it can cause them hurt as I choose compromise in my own life. It has effects on others. Maybe sometimes it's more subtle than that. Maybe just my own choice for compromise, and I have other people looking to me, and you have other people looking to you, and as, as you choose compromise in your life, you almost open the, other, the door for others to kind of feel like, hey, that's acceptable. When I'm willing to cut corners, others think corner cutting is acceptable. When I'm chasing profile, others believe that chasing profile is right to do, Right? i remember for kate and i when we were uh dating and moving towards uh, getting engaged and married one of the most unhelpful things that happened to us is we went to speak to an older couple that had been married for a little bit and, and we looked up to them and they actually just went, oh guys, let us tell you about all of our failures. We were trying to contend for kind of biblical sexual purity ethics in our relationship, on our way to marriage. And, and these guys just went, oh, let us tell you about all our, fa- our, our failings and, and just be free and, and don't beat yourselves up too much. You're kind of on your way to marriage anyway. It was the most unhelpful advice that we had received. And actually, it was so blatantly unhelpful that it caused us to push back into God and go, no, God, we want to have and contend for a high view of you. Because when we've got a high view of you, these lesser things seem that much less attractive. And we want to find ourselves pressing in for the grace which you provide For us in this moment. See, when we find ourselves just in compromise, we can often open the door for others to compromise. And Jesus is saying, Watch out! That is serious in his mind. It's maybe worth noting that he uses the words little ones here. But actually the commentators are kind of in agreement that he's, he's not saying just children. If he calls children, no, he's using children as a picture of, of those that are kind of the least and, and the, or maybe immature amongst you or those who know less. And he's saying, hey, be sure that as a leader, as a, as a more mature person, you're not out in front in an unhelpful way causing others to stumble. That's what Jesus is saying. And actually, Paul picks up on this in other texts like Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. Paul carries that on and he says, hey, we need to take our, our kind of cue from Jesus on these things. Because right now, we're also people who are trying to figure out what does it mean for us to live in the world but not be of the world." And Paul says some pretty direct things to the followers of Christ and to us today about what does it mean for us to not cause others to stumble in our diets and in our alcohol and in our weed and in our whatever else you are facing by way of stumble, right? And he says we need to make sure that we act in a way of love and maturity with each other and not act in a way that would cause others to stumble and sin so what about these comments just to kind of bring this home real quick what about these comments have you heard them used have you maybe used them i'm hoping it's not us but i'm guessing it is hey let's have a big night this weekend come on surely we don't have to pay for that subscription oh don't give the tax man all of that do you even know where your tax money is even going these days Come on, just one more for the road. What about, don't worry, baby, it's okay, I love you. I'm hoping this is not us, right? But can you see Jesus is dialing it up and I don't wanna dial it down. If this is the one who knows us best and loves us most and he's in top gear, I don't wanna be the one who's getting in the way and trying to sugarcoat this for us. Let's make sure that we think twice before we find ourselves in this position of causing others to stumble. Jesus says sin is serious. And guess what? He's only warming up, right? He continues. He goes, verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus thinks that sin is serious, like life threatening serious in our lives he says, deal decisively with it don 't let it get the better of you when I was preparing i, I just had this picture of of a gangrene foot or a, or maybe like um what do you get the frostbite foot right and can I just encourage you don 't go and Google that The pictures aren 't pretty, right. I made that mistake and 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 this foot what happens is 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 it 's it's terrible. It's a sickness and, and it's so like deathly and, and it cr- creates deformity and the, your whole foot can go black and warped and crusty and terrible. Like I said, don't go and Google it, right? But, but what happens is it gets so bad that at certain times you've got to actually remove it rather than allow it to kind of affect the rest of the body. And that's what Jesus is saying here he's saying that we need to recognize, we need to recognize, uh, we need to recognize that sin is serious. And as we do that, Jesus is saying, don't let the destructiveness of sin, the cancerous force that sin can be in our lives, take hold of your life. Cut it out before it takes over your body and kills you. Luke, who leads our South Penn congregation, he told us the story of one day, he, he and his wife, this was before they had any children, and they, they were living in a little granny flat behind someone's house in East London before they moved to Cape Town. And, and the one day, they arrived home, and across the bottom of their front door, there was a towel placed across the front door. And so they didn't understand, but they could clearly see it was the landlady's uh, towel. And so they went to this old landlady, and they said, hey, there's a towel in front of the door. And she was like, oh, watch out. I put that there because I saw a, a um slung. Go under the door into your little flat. And so I just put it there so it doesn't come to my house. And so, so what did Luke do? What did Luke do? Being one of those, those kind of like make it happen himself kind of guys, he, he went into the house, right? And for hours, he peeled back every carpet and opened every cupboard and moved furniture all the way until it was bedtime. And Luke had not found the boom slung. And so Luke and Lauren had to go to sleep in the little granny flat without finding the snake, the life-threatening snake in their granny flat, and they went to sleep. And I'm telling you this picture because I believe what Jesus is saying is that for many of us, we've been comfortable. We've become comfortable with the life threatening boomslang of sin in our lives. And we just like, Hey, I looked for it a little bit, but now I'm going to sleep. I'm not sure about you, but I would never go to sleep, never go to sleep in that little flat if I had not found the boomslang, right? Anybody else? Okay, it's just not gonna happen. And what Jesus is saying is we need to recognize that we have this deadly snake in our lives and it's called sin and it's in the house of our lives and we need to find it and we need to deal decisively with it. Jesus is telling us we can't allow it to continue in our lives. I'm not sure about you, but again, I think if you're anything like me, we as Christians can sometimes kind of wink at sin these days. Too many of us seem to be going to sleep with that snake still in our house. We, we kind of say, oh, those are just small practices, sinful practices. Everyone's doing them. It's the way the world works. Maybe we encourage each other not to be too legalistic. Don't be too legalistic. Guys, grace, grace. And, and somehow we somehow overly extend our definition of grace to cover willful compromise. We sometimes don't deal the death blow to the very thing that is out to deal a death blow to us, to our contentment, to our our communion with the Spirit, to our sexual purity, to our relational covenants. We don't deal the death blow to it while it is seeking to deal the death blow to us. And Jesus says we need to deal with it. We can't continue to drink at unsanctified wells and somehow think that they are not going to poison our lives. James 1.14 tells us, but each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Jesus is saying sin is serious. But I also believe that Jesus is saying something else. Jesus is saying choose life. Choose life. Jesus is not the kind of global cosmic killjoy, right? He's not kind of saying, oh, yeah, there's all the fun things in life and let's just chop those out. No, he's actually saying, choose life. You think these things are gonna provide you life, but they're not. Here's what life looks like. And he says, choose life. And he wants us to cut away those things because they become barriers to entry and hindrances to us in being able to take hold of life and life to the full. Now, I've got a confession to make. I've got a confession to make that I used to have a really big snake. Can we put that picture up there real quick? Is there a picture? Okay, can you see that snake? Now, it was given to me by a friend when he was leaving the country, and I kept it for a while, and then I gave it to someone else. And I haven't told you guys about it very much or spoken about it, because one of my friends in the church, a black guy, said to me, Ryan, Ryan, if you want to lose credibility with black people in your church, then tell them that you sleep with Satan in your house, right? <laughs> that, that was pretty much what he said to me. He said, nah, it's not right. It's not right that you've got a snake, okay? But guess what? When I asked him, why is it that black people don't like snakes? You know what he said to me? We choose life. That's all he said. We choose life. Those were his very words. We choose life. And I think the point is that we can see from this text, and we can take the snake off there. That's a bit of a distraction, right? The the point is that when it comes to dealing with the snakes in our lives, we're choosing life. That's why you and I would not sleep where the boomslang is, right, even though Luke did. We need to recognize that this message to us as the church is very clear. Choose life. Deal the death blow to sin, Anything that is less than God's best for you in your life, cut it out. Anything that hurts you or hurts others or ultimately hurts God, cut it out. Let's choose life by getting serious with these matters in our lives. Guys, can I just say I've seen people who have, who've had their lives riddled by compromise and sin, bigger things than many of us are facing bigger addictions, bigger kind of strongholds, bigger grips of sin and habits and unhelpfulness in their life. And I've seen the power of Christ set people free from these things. And I've seen them step into newness of life and fullness of life in a way that would never be possible were they not to root these things out, were they not to deal decisively in Christ's power with these things. I hope I don't have to point out that Jesus isn't speaking literally here. He's not speaking about self-mutilation. Tragically, I think some people have applied it that way in different parts of the world. But bodily mutilation is strictly forbidden in Scripture. In the Old Testament, see, Jesus is using something called metaphoric hyperbole, which I didn't actually know about. But it was a common practice back then to, to really make a point. Jewish kind of speakers would do it often, and, and they would want to get a vivid point across. They'd use these kind of expressive Kind of pictures of what needs to happen. And so, what we need to realize is even though we don't take it literally, we must still take it seriously. And Jesus actually used each of these three things very specifically because they, in a sense, encompass what the the human life is about. Jesus says, Your hands. What do your hands represent? They represent what you do, what you give yourself to. What do your feet represent? They represent where you go and the path that you choose in life. And your eyes represent what you see, what you concentrate in, what you focus on, what you contemplate. And Jesus is saying that we need to make sure that we give ourselves in in our going, in our doing, in our seeing, and contemplating, and thinking, and pondering. We need to give ourselves not to these lesser things, but to choose life. Choose life. Make sure that we cut these other things that lead to death out. I believe Jesus is saying, get radical in kingdom pursuit. Get radical in kingdom pursuit. And he was saying, sometimes it's going to be costly. Very costly. Think about how radical Jesus was about to get, right? How radical he was about to get in pursuit of the kingdom purpose for which he had come. He gave his whole entire life. His hands would be pierced for our transgressions. His feet would be nailed for our sins. His eyes would be filled with blood trickling down, trickling down from his thorn spiked head with his fake thorn crown. And what would he say? would find himself hanging on that cross, looking through those blood-filled eyes. He would find himself looking down at his, the very people that were crucifying him, and he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Father, forgive them. And when we talk about sin, I would hate for us to see a Jesus that comes to do the cutting out and, and see a Jesus that in some way is condemning towards us. No, that is not the Jesus that we are faced with in Scripture. See, when there's sin and compromise in our lives, we come to the Savior who, who, who went to the cross for us, and he would say to us in our sin, he would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. They know not what they are doing, but here am I, and I know what I'm doing. I'm giving my very life so that they can receive forgiveness for their sin. And Jesus stretches out his arm and he says, Spiritually dead, arise. And he says to the spiritual sleeper, Wake up from your slumber. And he says to the worshiper who has gone cold from that place, he says, wake up, arise, and and, and awake your soul and see who stands before you. Bring yourself to this place of being awake in these matters. So one, you can deal decisively, and two, you can choose fullness of life. Jesus, the king of the universe, is sitting in the room with his closest disciples, He's sitting there with them, and he's saying to them, as I believe he's saying to us today, choose life. Choose life. Before we come to our last points, I, I want to, and most probably without having time to, to do a full treatment on this, I want to quickly speak to the three mentions of hell in this passage and kind of the descriptors of those. Because I don't want to skip over such an important and yet hard to understand subject, right? While I also want to recognize that I can't fully cover it here. In our day and age, this is one of those things. It's worth noting that is one of the greatest barriers to kind of entering and understanding and agreeing to the Christian faith. And the question has become, how can a loving God send people to hell? And if this interests you, and because I don't have the time to do the full treatment today, I want to encourage you, if you want to read more on this, if you need to get your head around this, go and get Tim Keller's book, Reason for God, and there's a full chapter on this specifically. It is very helpful, uh, and he gives this topic the time that it deserves and that it needs, and I encourage you to go and read that. But for today, I, I want to say it's worth noting that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And it was very clear that Jesus was very intent on making sure that people don't go there. He was so intent that he gave his only life towards that, right? We all know the most famous of, of kind of Sunday school Bible verses, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's his desire. That's what he came for. That's how he feels about it. How many of us know what John 3.17 says though? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. It doubles down and it says again, no, it's clear Jesus longs for us to be saved and for us to spend eternity with him. And yes, I believe we need to take hell, the godless eternity, very seriously because Jesus took it seriously. But that doesn't mean that we preach fire and brimstone and we try and scare people and we put plays on to scare people out of uh, kind of choosing, uh, scare people to choosing life and, and Christian kind of personal fire insurance. No, that's not what we call to. Out of love, like Christ, we do everything. We give our lives to the purpose of seeing others come into true life. And we do everything in our power to see people saved from this godless eternity. We tell them about Jesus and his finished work, and they're welcomed into life eternal. That's the main point that Jesus is trying to make here. Do you do what you've got to do to avoid a godless eternity? Whatever there is that's in your life, cut it out. But what is he saying? He's not saying, hey, you can do it. No, he's saying, choose life. Choose life. He's saying, come to me, the giver of life, the one who gives and provides eternal life. What use is an eye or a hand or a foot to you when death will have the final word in your life? Jesus says, choose life. And that brings us to our last point from this passage, which is live the salty life. So sin is serious. Jesus makes that pretty clear right? He says, choose life. That's his whole big message here, is is choose life. Don't give in to these things. Choose life. And then he calls them to live the salty life. For everyone, verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. See, this whole kind of charge from Jesus as he sits here uh, speaking to his closest disciples in the room. He says to them, hey, this is what true life looks like. Humble. Be humble. Be servant of all. Don't oppose others. This is kind of working through the different areas of the text from verse 30 to 50. Be humble, be servant of all, don't oppose others, don't cause others to sin, deal seriously with sin in your life, and then choose true life. And then he seems to wrap up this whole charge to them about, in speaking about saltiness and salt. And, and it's almost like Jesus uses three different descriptors, almost kind of playfully, he overlaps all these different meanings of saltiness and salt to drive home what he's calling them to. Firstly, he says, verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. That speaks of how all followers of Jesus can, be, can expect to be purified or, or to be preserved. They can find themselves coming into refining circumstances in their lives or, or maybe even something of God's chastening in your life. That's what that being salted with fire speaks to Secondly, he speaks about uh, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? And here we're speaking about salt as a flavoring agent or a preserving agent, which Jesus says is a good thing, but what happens when it loses that? That's a bad thing. We've got to contend for it, right? Right? And speaking about the fact that as Christ follows, we're called to be agents of goodness and truth and godliness. And we, A, we, we, we are called to stand up for righteousness in our world today as the people of God. So he's saying, hey, these chastening things are going to come your way. But you're called to be this agent of preserving and, and goodness. And then thirdly, he says, have salt in yourselves... And be at peace with one another. Here the word salt is being used slightly differently. It's referring to a goodness within yourself. Have this goodness within you in the way that flavors your relationships with others. And Jesus uses all three of these pictures. And the commentators tell us he kind of intertwines them. But they were all three different pictures of what the people at the time would have understood saltiness saltiness to mean. Here's the coolest observation for me when I look at what Jesus is getting at here with his disciples is, is actually Jesus is speaking about a higher agenda when he speaks about saltiness here. See, in Numbers and Chronicles, God had made two sacrificial covenants, two sacrificial covenants. Firstly, the priestly covenant. And secondly, the Davidic covenant. And both are referred to in Scripture as covenants of salt. Covenants of salt, which means that they are enduring, persevering, preserving covenants. And and so when Jesus makes these, I mean, God makes these covenants of salt, he's saying these things will last forever. These things, they will never grow old. They will never be finished. And Jesus, again, as he speaks to them and says, you are to follow me into these things, he's declaring himself as the God of the salt covenants. And he's saying, I am the promised Messiah in the line of David. I am not just the one who comes as a priest to bring the atoning sacrifice, but I'm the one who comes to be the atoning sacrifice. And he says, the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been looking for, I'm saying these harsh things to you, but I am the one who brings true life. And it's out of my best for you. Jesus, he says have your life seasoned with salt, with my life. Become a living sacrifice like me. And he says, continue to live the life like my life, which is the life laid down. How do we really truly find life in this world? Jesus says we take sin seriously. We choose life. Christ the true answer. We choose him daily. We take sin seriously by removing the hindrances and and we find the snakes that are still loose in our house and we deal decisively with them. And then we live the salty life, the purified life, the preserving life, the life laid down just like Christ. I trust that we can hear today the words of our risen Savior as he kind of leans in, just like he did with his disciples back in that room in Capernaum, and he calls us out of death, and he calls us out of anything that is less than his best for us, and he says, now walk in this way. Choose life. Live life to the full. One of the realities is that they didn't get the cross. Common ground is Bosch's what are we called these days? Bushes. If there's any area in your life that doesn't make sense, if there's any area in your life that has experienced hurts or brokenness or pain, if there's any area of your life that has compromise, my encouragement is to come to the cross. Come to the cross. As we come to the cross, if these guys had come to the cross, their personal jostling for kind of power and position and profile would have been lost. If they had come and understood the cross, it would have been easy to eradicate sin from their lives as they just look at the fullness of the life of Christ and the fullness of the work He's done. I believe it is for us, as we say yes to following Jesus, to come to the cross again and say, yes, Jesus, this applies to this area of my life. In view of this, I understand this in my life. Does that make sense? Christ is saying, choose life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, recognise that today as we we find ourselves in this place, these are these are heavy words. But God, I thank you that these are not condemning words, but they're instructing words. And they're coming from the heart of our Savior. Thank you that these words are calling us out of death and into life. Life to the full. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are our and you are our counselor and you are our guide and I ask that you would take these things and you would help us to appropriate them in our lives. Even now, today, Jesus, I pray for those who, who are far off, who've maybe never said yes to, to your lordship and your leadership in their lives, maybe have never said yes to, to your atoning sacrifice, that they see their sin in their lives and they, they, they recognize that they are Inable to deal with that. And yet, Father, they see what you have done through Christ on the cross. And God, I pray that they would do business with you today. That there would be a sense of your spirit quickening them even now to say, Yes, Jesus, I recognize you as a leader and Lord. I need a Savior. Thank you that you went to the cross to die for my sin and shortcoming." Won't you deal with my sin there and won't you welcome me into the life, life eternal that you have purchased at a price for me? If that's you, just do business with God. Maybe today, as Christ follows, we need to, we need to just do some introspection. We need to do some observation of our lives and we need to say, where might I be drinking at the cisterns of compromise in my life? Where am I taking shortcuts, or where am I choosing things that I know are less than God's best, things that are causing me pain, or others' pain, or or even God's heart's pain? God, won't you come and shine your spotlight into our lives We want to live as you would have us live, but we also want to deal decisively with sin. We know sin is serious. It meant you had to die. And yet, Jesus, we know your grace is sufficient because you did die. And so we pray that your atoning sacrifice would be appropriated to every area of sin in our lives and that we would find ourselves living, fresh, and anew in you. Convict us of sin. Bring these things into our mind, we pray, that we would no longer live in compromise. God, for us as a church, we ask that you would empower us to live the salty life that you would empower us to live as little Christ. That's what it means to be Christians, God. And, and we pray that you would lead us on in these matters, that we would live the life laid down, that we would live the life not of compromise, but of saltiness, preserving and raising the standard and, and holding on to truth and righteousness. Even as things seem to get darker in our day, God, won't you cause us to live the salty life influence and preserve and bring flavor and goodness into wherever we may find ourselves, our families, our work. God, won't you lead us on in these matters we pray in your beautiful name. Amen.